0: Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We are going to pick up where we left off. We're just about through with the book of 2 Kings. We're up to chapter 23. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. So we're talking about the kingdom of uh, Judah, not the kingdom of Israel at this time. And the king is calling all the people together because he's come across now what they call a book of the law. It'd be like somebody finding an old Bible and um, seeing what it says. And he was so outraged at the conduct of the people to this point when he saw what they were supposed to be doing compared to what they're actually doing, that now he's calling a meeting of everyone to come together and see what they can do about getting right. Um, And this is uh, Jerusalem. So it's the capital city of the kingdom of Judah. Verse 2. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So again, it's the same book I was just talking about. they um, it apparently have been cast aside over time because it's been hundreds of years now since the people were delivered from enslavement in Africa to this point. And many, many kings have come and gone since the days of Moses and Aaron, those brothers who were basically the heads of the people as they left uh, slavery uh, to where they are now. Lord, by the way, is being is all caps here in this verse. So it's being translated from the word or name Jehovah or Yehovah, however you want to pronounce it. Whichever you believe is the right way to pronounce it. Um, Some people don't believe it's either one. Some say it's Yahweh. Um, Some say it's... uh, There's lots of different ways to pronounce it because the way it's written, um, they only... I don't know, it's hard to say. Because some points in the Bible, it reads it one way uh, as just Yah, Y-H, and in other places, it's Y-W-H. It's just the letters. It's just the consonants. Um, in some places, it's Jehovah. So I'm not sure which one is which is the correct, but it's that's the same entity that everyone here to this point um, are trying to reach out to and get right with. Um, so, and that's the same book of the law, basically the covenant. That's the agreement that was uh, given to the people uh, by the religion um, when they uh, made it to, Uh, freedom from enslavement verse 3 then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people took a stand for the covenant so now everyone's basically being uh, renewed renewing the covenant the agreement of the people with, we'll just say God, since it's it's who they're worshiping as God, um, to do right, to do what uh, is written in those laws and statutes and ordinances. And again, when we read it before, originally Moses just received the Ten Commandments. Then over time, religion added all those other things to it, to the point where it became this book of the law, this whole rigmarole of what people are supposed to be doing and not doing. And the people fell away from it, probably because they realized this can't possibly be from God. But it is what it is, and this is where we're at now. Verse four: And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out the temple, bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burnt them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron. And carried their ashes to Bethel. So this lets us know that the people weren't being faithful to one entity; they were worshiping Baal. That um, translates to masters, or it's it's actually plural plural in some places because it's more than one deity that they're worshiping. Asherah is a female, a Canaanite goddess. Goddess, excuse me. Um, that's um, Canaan is the area that the people have gone in to colonize. And call their own promised land, even though there were people living there before. And the host of heaven, that's um, the different planets and um, celestial bodies that people were worshiping. Then also, some people worship the sun, just like in modern times. And like we went over before, the host of heaven can include things like the planets, um, because they're named after, also named after deities, gods, lowercase g if you prefer. Um, but that's what they're named after, from Mars to Jupiter to Venus. All of those are different names of foreign, I guess you'd call them foreign, uh, ancient deities. They're all those names. So if, like I said before, if a person's dumping their Bible about supposedly being faithful to everything from Genesis to Revelation, then even saying the days of the week, even saying the uh, the planet's names, You're offending in those orders because you're not supposed to say the names of any other gods. But even here, you see, that's not what the people were faithful to. They were worshiping all sorts of different uh, entities. They had lots of different religions going on. Verse five, then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. So again, the people were worshiping lots of different things, lots of different celestial bodies, lots of different things other than just one. So when people tell you the Bible is about a monotheistic society, about worshiping only one God, it's a plain lie. The people again and again and again worship many different entities, and there's more than just one or two religions in the bible regardless of what people want to believe it's simply not true verse 6 and he brought out the wooden image from the house of the lord to the brook kidron outside jerusalem burned it at the brook kidron and ground its ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people so um the wooden image that's again asherah it's a canaanite goddess think of it i think of it as a totem pole, but you could think of it even as like the Washington Monument. They're phallic symbols there. Even though that's a female god, a, a goddess, not a god that's being worshipped, both with a lowercase g, it's still in dedication to patriarchy. That's what all of the Bible outside of Jesus' teachings is. It's uh, an exaltation of patriarchy where you uh, hold men in a higher esteem than you hold women. And um, Part of that from ancient times were these phallic symbols, um, making statues and things uh, that resemble penises, big, large, hard, strong, thick penises. For whatever reason, that's what people would keep worshipping. And at the same time, we read already where there were uh, parts of their orders of the, the religion that you... Um, against homosexuality and yet there's all this patriarchy exalting men and all these phallic symbols worshiping penises it's it's kind of twisted but here they're once again grinding up those um those uh statues those um images that's what they're called of um the different gods and goddesses that the people were worshiping but this isn't the first time we read about that again and again. That's what they seem to do every time there's a new administration that comes in. Uh, when they try to show how righteous they are, they tear down all the articles of worship that were before them and then build new ones. And then uh, once again, the people fall right back into the same pattern. Verse 7, then he tore down the ritual boots of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the wooden image so uh, when it talks about the perverted persons that's talking that's where we mentioned before about the Khadijah It's the plural of the Kedeshem and that is those who practice for those practicing sodomy and prostitution and religious rituals so part of their religion as crazy as it may sound and we read about it again in the end is they'd include sex in their in their rituals as part of their worship so imagine going to church Or wherever you go to worship, uh, on whatever day you go to worship, and when you get there, there's orgies going on. And it says sodomy, But and people in modern times equate sodomy to homosexuality. But in reality, sodomy uh, refers to any sex that's not for procreation. Any sex that you're having, even if you're married, that's not for having more babies. So it's considered sodomy. It's considered an offense. It's considered uh, an abomination, a sin. Um, not from God, but from religion and dogma. That's what it's from. And here you see it was a common practice, apparently, because they even had booths set up. So that makes me think of, like, if you, I don't know if they even still have them, those, um, those um, uh, like glory holes when you go to uh, booths for, for people to go hook up, where you put your uh, penis through a hole in the wall and someone else on the other side of the wall would service it or you'd put your body part up against the hole in the wall and someone on the other side of the wall would put their penis through the hole in the wall and into you, uh, that sort of thing. It sounds a lot like it's the exact same thing that was happen- happening there, um, where they have the booths set up for people to have sex in dedication to their religion. As strange as that sounds, I guess it's not that strange where you see just recently... Um, how and it's just more uh, of the double standard just recently i just saw a night where um a service was set up not a religious service but a sex service of people it's being called a cult by the um by the news reporters reporting it where people were charging sixty thousand dollars a year to be a part of their cult their their sex therapy thing and you would go there and basically get sex therapy um And the federal government charged them and arrested them, put them into custody, like within a day. And you see the double standard in how long it's taken to go after the previous president, years. And now, finally, they're uh, indicting him to have him show up to court next week. So it's not like he's being put in cuffs immediately and taken into custody um, to even just show up for court next week, where he probably won't even get arrested then and taken into custody and even if he does, like I said before, almost certainly this president, who, cl- who he gets clowned by regularly, will almost certainly just pardon him just the same way Obama uh, looked the other way at the things Bush and Cheney um, did. This president will almost certainly do the same thing with 45. So while people kick up a fuss about it all and him being supposedly brought to justice, uh, I wouldn't lose any sleepover because they are almost certainly just doing all this. They drug it all out just to let him get away with it. As sick as that sounds, and as sick as that is, it's no sicker than what what we're reading about here. The so-called perverted persons having orgies and things um, as part of their uh, worship ceremony. And uh, before we move on, one last thing about that. That's the same thing that Easter is rooted in. It's rooted in Canaanite uh, practices, ancient times, And it's changed names, um, but it's the same thing where you'd roll eggs and have sexual orgies in the groves, as they're called, um, as a way of worshiping that goddess. It's the exact same thing. And it lives on in modern times in Easter celebrations where you hide eggs and go looking for them and have the bunny going around, um, showing up every time at Easter, even though bunnies don't have eggs. Uh, But that's what it's all rooted in. Um, It's so twisted, and it all just gets glazed over and called Christianity when it's far from Christianity. None of it is anything Christ actually said. Moving on, verse 8. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense, from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates. Which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to be left, which were to the left, excuse me, of the city gate. So, um, part of the cleansing of the land of those different gods and goddess worships is getting rid of the different places and things where people would go to worship and burn incense to them. And so that's what the new king is doing. He's trying to clean house and get rid of all those different so considered idolatrous practices that the people would take part in verse nine nevertheless the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the lord in jerusalem but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren so um the unleavened bread thing is the same thing that continued in the time of jesus with uh, the passover ceremony and continues in modern times with the um, with um, communion or the sacrament, or however your church wants to define it, the taking of the bread and the wine, um, symbolizing um, Christ's flesh and blood being given up for our salvation. Um, but back then it's rooted in the Passover with the unleavened bread and all that, which we've already read over in the book of Exodus. Um, so, but it's saying here that the priests didn't go up to those high places, but they um, stayed put where they were to eat their unleavened bread. Verse 10, and he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. So the son of Hinnom uh, is the same place, if I remember right, uh, that's later called Gehenna, and it's um, basically a trash heap a place where they burn garbage at. Um, that's what it eventually became. But what it was before then was a place where you burn people. You uh, Just like in some cultures now, maybe even in Hawaii, um, you see people do fire walking or walking on coals. And whether they realize it or not, it's the exact same thing. It's worshiping this god, lowercase g if you prefer, um, uh, named Molech. And it's where you where they pass their children through the fire as part of their ritual ceremonies. And in some cases, it doesn't seem like they were just having them walk through the fire or walk over hot coals, but they were actually cooking, roasting, burning their children. And as crazy as that sounds, it was just on the news, a woman was recently um, taken into custody because she put her two children in the oven and cooked them alive and killed them. And so... Um, These things that seem ancient and crazy, they're not that ancient. People are still doing stuff like this. Even if they aren't doing it in the name of the same or for the same reasons, it's still the same stuff. And even the whole thing about sacrificing your children, we read already that that's exactly what Abraham was going to do. He was going to sacrifice one of his sons that he'd been waiting to have. Um, And he was going to do it in dedication to God. So it's easy to believe, easy to see why people would think, oh, well, Abraham had this legendary close relationship with God after he was willing to sacrifice his child. Let me do the same thing. Maybe I'll get a re- divine reaction out of God for doing the same thing. So it seems to me it's all the same sort of thinking. Um, but however it is, he's also tearing down that place also where people would practice the firewalking. Um, Verse 11, then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Millet, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. So again, one of the other celestial bodies that people were worshiping was the sun. And that was probably one of the oldest things that people worshiped, even in like prehistoric times, because Imagine if you, if you don't know anything at all, and you, but one thing you know is, in the morning there's a light that pops up every single morning. It pops up, and if you were cold, suddenly you feel warm. You see the plants paying attention to which way it's coming from because you know plants do move, and they bend toward the light. So you could probably see, and in nature itself, all the animals and things get more active during the day. Uh, the ones that aren't nocturnal, that is. So you, they, I'm sure even in ancient times, people noticed all those things and probably attributed um, supernatural powers to the sun being able to pop up every morning like that. And then not only pop up, but seem to move. it would be in one part of the sky one day and then the next day it'd be somewhere else. And then all throughout the day, it would move throughout the sky. So people probably thought it was alive and moving. So um, one of the things people worship was the sun. And even now, people still call themselves sun worshipers. They may not mean it in a religiously offensive way, but that's exactly what they call themselves when they lay out in sunbathe or tan. And again, it may not have any religious connotation to it in their minds at all, but it is the same thing. It's worshiping the sun. Um, And again, not that that's what their intention is, but it goes, it's rooted in the same thing. They even call themselves sun worshipers. Um, even if they aren't literally worshipping the sun. But here, the people actually were worshipping the sun, and they had chariots set up because they believed that that's how the sun would move through the sky, that there were chariots moving it um, from one end to the sky to the other. Um, And probably thinking the earth was flat, just like flat earthers in modern times, think that, but it's pretty stupid to believe that at this point, because even if you don't know whether the earth is flat or not, you can look up in the sky at other Uh, celestial bodies like the moon, but even less like the moon because the moon rotates, but it stays with the same face facing the earth. But if you look further at other things, you can see where uh, the, the spots and dents and craters on different places move. So sometimes they're on this part of it and sometimes they're on that part of it. Sometimes you don't see them at all. That's because they're rotating. If it were flat, it wouldn't be able to do that. And yet people still believe what they believe. And so now um, what we're reading, though, that's what people believe. So he's destroying the chariots that would carry the sun through the sky, or at least mimic the chariots that they believe were carrying the sun through the sky, and all the other things that were dedicated to that worship. He's also destroying that. Verse 12, altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and all altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts, of the house of the lord the king broke down and pulverized them and threw their dust into the brook kidron so the poor brook kidron it must have been full of garbage by then, because again and again that's what the people would do um they break down crush up burn and then to powder pulverize all these, these these different um altars and things and then dump them in the brook um Again and again, for um, centuries now, it seems, that's what they would keep doing. Verse 13, then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtaroth, Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Shemash, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. So the narrator here is calling them all abominations, but in modern times we just call them the religions because that's what they were. Those were the different gods, entities, deities that those different areas worship. Um, I forget which one, maybe it's Shamash. I think that one is the one that translates to Jupiter in um, English. Um, Don't quote me on that, but one of them does. I remember right but you could always look it up yourself and see but you see here what's happening is all these different places of worship to all these different entities deities gods uh, existed and one by one he's tearing them down in his dedication and zeal to uh, the one entity uh, Jehovah Um, but they call those other entities Lord the same way um, he's calling Jehovah Lord Verse almost certainly, verse 14. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. So, um, again, the different phallic symbols, totem poles, statues, they're being torn down, ground to powder. And when it says defiling them, uh, I forget what it is that makes them defiled. I think uh, with a dead body, I think is what defiles them. Um. Yeah, and that's why that's why they're um, doing the whole thing with the bones of men, putting the dead carcasses, the dead bones, uh, the remains um, in contact with those different holy relics, uh, religious symbols, defiles them. In the same, it's basically the same command given to the people before about uh, not touching dead bodies that defiles you, not touching blood that defiles you not touching someone who's touched blood, that defiled, all those different things that were set up as part of the religion uh, after the Ten Commandments were given. Verse 15, Moreover, the altar that was in Be- at Bethel and the high place, which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both the altar and the high place, he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. So uh, more with the wooden images, the totem poles, the phallic symbols, they're being torn down ground to powder. And also, Jeroboam, the son of the bat, um, I think that's the same one who had the cows set up. Even though the people were rescued from enslavement by the Lord, somehow the people have gone into the belief that it's actually cows that delivered them from enslavement. So they made statues of cows, and that's what the people would worship um, from one end of the land to the other. They had uh, stat catch statues of cows, and that's where people would go to worship. Verse uh, so, but those are also being torn down. The different, all these different places of worship of other entities are being torn down by the new king Josiah. Verse sixteen, as Josiah turned. He saw the tombs that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. So uh, we read that previously, um, that that was a prophecy given by a uh, so-called man of God previously, that in the same place where people are going to worship, that's where the bones of um one of the kings will be burned. And now, so what he's doing here is fulfilling that prophecy. Um, When he dug out those bones and burned them on that high place, verse defiling it, verse uh, making it, um, um, what's the word? Uh, Desecrating it. Verse 17, then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So the man of the city told him, is the tomb of the man of god who came from judah and proclaimed these things which you've done against the altar of bethel so that's just i was just talking about the prophecy uh, about the place where they're going to worship being defiled and the bones of the kings being burned there on it to finish the defilement of it that the places where they're going to worship are going to be no more so he's asking whose bones are those that he's come across and they've answered him saying that's that same prophet whose words you're fulfilling. Verse 18, and he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So he let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. So if I remember right, that's the. those are the prophets where the one gave the prophecy, um, but then was disobedient about his return trip home. He was lied to by another prophet who convinced him to uh, betray the um, command that he was given by, we'll say, the Lord, since that's how it read, and it ended up costing him his life. Then the other prophet who lied to him, when he was buried, he wanted to be buried with that same prophet. Uh, I don't know whether it's because he knew that prophet was uh, in touch with God, with the divine, or if he felt guilty for lying to that prophet and basically costing his life, or if he believed the prophecy or knew a prophecy, um that that prophet's uh, bones would be significant in the future. So he wanted to be buried with them. Whatever the case may be, the two were buried together. Um, So now when the new king, Josiah, has come across the bones, he's saying, no, don't mess with those. Leave them alone. Don't defile their burial place. Leave those bones alone. Verse 19, now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. So um, he's gone from place to place now and going and defiling and tearing down the different shrines and places of worship that people were going to worship all these other different deities uh, besides the one that they were sort of bound to when they were emancipated. Verse 20, he executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. So he's uh, basically made his rounds, tore down all those other churches, places of worship that were dedicated to all those other entities and gods and um, taking care of the priests that were tending to them also. And now he's gone back home to Jerusalem. Verse 21, then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. So now that he's torn down all those places, because that was part of the command also when um, the book was uh, first given or written out, that that's what they were supposed to do to the places of worship that the foreigners who they're going in to colonize their land were worshiping to tear them down and all of that stuff. So he's accomplished all that. He's taking care of the priests. Now he's telling them to stick to the Passover. That's um, what we read about in the book of Exodus when the people were emancipated in the first place. That um, They should go back to being faithful to that and um, stick to what's written in the book of the covenant. Verse 22, such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. So it says, know a long time has passed. And in all that time, the people weren't keeping a, a major Passover like they did originally when they were first emancipated. Instead, they've adopted all these other religions and left that in the dust. They put that behind them and haven't been focused on that at all since the days of the judges, which we already went through in the books of Judges. Those days are long gone, and people aren't worshiping that way at all anymore. But he's trying to revive that and get people to turn back to it. Verse 23, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. So now that this new king has risen up, gotten rid of all those other places of worship for the other religions, now the people are being instructed and led to go back to worshiping and recognizing Passover as a holiday verse 24 moreover Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists the household gods and idols all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book of that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord so on the book with the instruction was there in the house of the Lord, in the temple, all this time, people just weren't paying attention to it. It wasn't being adhered to, probably wasn't even being taught anymore. It had turned into a business. It it, it quickly turned into a business after the Ten Commandments. That's what all of the, it seems to me, all those animal sacrifices and all those other um, things that people had to do to show their dedication to God, that's all religion. That's all people things people cooked up to enrich themselves and didn't seem to have anything at all to do with following seeking or worshiping god instead it had to do with religion and again religion and christianity are not the same thing we're reading about here in this chapter many different religions alone and it's right here in the bible so people wanted to they could say well it's in the bible to worship molek well it's in the bible to worship the bails The people in the Bible worship them, and they'd be telling the truth, because people did. That lets us know, everything in the Bible isn't Christianity. Everything in the Bible isn't godly. Everything in the Bible is not what we as Christians should be trying to adhere to. We as Christians, I believe, have Christ as our guide, and that leads back to those red letters, which these are not. Verse 24, moreover, Josiah put away. Oh, so we read that. So he's getting rid of everything outside of worship uh, uh, prescribed by the book of the covenant that he's read including the mediums and spiritists that means uh, people who can get in contact with the divine or even the dead um, lets us know if it were just false if people weren't actually able to do it it wouldn't even be a threat people clearly do have that power to contact the dead to make uh to act as mediums and be induced Just like the prophets and people previously, even who weren't prophets, were induced to start prophesying, it's entirely possible for people to get familiar spirits, as they're sometimes called, and use other means, in other words, to get in touch with the divine and receive messages and pass them on. Uh, But he's getting rid of all of that. And he's saying it's in accordance, or at least the narrator here is saying it's in in accordance with what's prescribed in the book of the covenant that he has now news to him that he's reading about and enforcing the king that is verse 25 now before him there was no king like him who turned to the lord with all his heart with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of moses nor after him did any arise like him so it says there weren't any this is the narrator saying this so it says there weren't any who were as basically dedicated as he was. So that would mean David also. That would include Solomon and any all the rest before him and after him. Um, that Josiah, in the narrator's opinion or estimation, was more dedicated and faithful than all the rest of the kings of Judah or Jerusalem. Verse um, 26. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which he his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations which with which Manasseh had provoked them. So now the narrator is saying that even though Josiah was so dedicated to cleansing the land of all these different religious religion religious practices, it still wasn't enough to turn the wrath and vengeance of God away from Judah. Judah, the kingdom of Judah. so this to me reads like 2020 20 hindsight where the narrator is attributing uh, the fall of Judah um, to their uh, religious unfaithfulness to their idolatry the same way uh, the kingdom of Israel fell into trouble with the Assyrians <clears throat> excuse me and it was um, attributed to their lack of faithfulness to God excuse me. which may or may not be the case. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. But it is how the narrator is saying it, it's happening and why it's happening because of the people not being faithful to one religion. And that even though Josiah turned fiercely toward God, it wasn't enough to make God forget about the things that previous kings, especially, particularly, namely in this case, Manasseh had done in um, leading people away from being faithful excuse me verse 27 and the lord said i will also remove judah from my sight as i've removed israel and will cast off this city jerusalem which i've chosen and the house of which i said my name shall be there so that goes back to what we said before even though we read that they were forever promises They're not forever at all. They're quite temporary because here um, now the the message is that just like Israel was given up to Assyria, Judah's going to be given up to and that the Lord's basically turning God's back on them. Um, Even though he's done all, Josiah's done all this cleansing and trying to make things right, it isn't enough, apparently. Um, And according to the narrator, the people are still going to face the wrath of God for Their unfaithfulness for their idolatry. Verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So again, the narrator is letting us know if you want to read all about it some more. Read in the book of Chronicles, the books of the Chronicles. Verse 29: In his days, Pharaoh Nico, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates and King Josiah went against them and Pharaoh Necho killed them at Megiddo when he confronted him so um, the Egyptian kingdom with its kings, Pharaoh in this case a new one since the te- long time since the people were emancipated from Egypt um, now the king Necho has um, aligned himself with Assyria the conquering force that's already taken the Israelite kingdom, it, uh, many of its cities and people, captive and carried them away already. That's now taking the kingdom of Judah captive and carrying them away is being aligned with uh, with Egypt now. And so much so, it seems that he, the Pharaoh has even killed Josiah now, the same one who's been faithfully cleansing the land of all those idols uh, has now died in the battle with the Egyptian King Nico, as apparently he was opposing Assyria. Verse 30, Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. So um, Josiah is gone. Now his son uh, Jehoahaz, has ascended to the throne. And as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce these. And the other thing to notice about this verse and the previous verse is the area. They've moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo. Megiddo is the same word that referred, that's referred to in Revelation as Armageddon. Um, Armageddon is translated to the hill of Megiddo, if I remember right. Uh, don't quote me on that. You can look it up. But it is still the same area that's referred to as Armageddon, uh, Megiddo is. Um, so it's nothing new, the different wars and things that were happening there. Also, just like Jerusalem, verse 31, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamithal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. So uh, that's not the same Jeremiah, I don't think, uh, as the prophet Jeremiah, but God willing, we'll get to that point when we get to the prophets finally, or at last, I should say, or at some point. Um, But anyway, so he's 23 years old. He's uh, ascended to the throne, Jehoahaz, that is, but he didn't reign for very long. He was only in power for three months in Jerusalem. So what happened to him? Verse 32. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So we read about how faithful Jehosiah was uh, now um, in the kingdom of Judah. Now another king has risen up and apparently, according to the narrator, he's not being faithful at all. He's actually doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And usually that means idolatry. But let's see what it means in his case. And it's saying he did it according to all that his fathers had done, so it almost certainly means the idolatry, the other religions. Verse 33, now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Ripla in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. So even though some preachers will try to tell you that Egypt has been uh, crushed and it's never going to be a strong power again, You see, it's strong enough that it's able to take the kingdom of Judah here. We're reading about it right now. So once again, religion and preachers will lie to you and contradict what's written right here in the same Bible. They say they're preaching and thump, but it doesn't match up with the truth. Because here again, Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, has gained power enough that he's able to conquer the kingdom of Judah and even force them to pay him tribute. Um... Uh, that's what the silver and gold is about paying him to keep him off their back to keep the enemy enemy away uh you give him money verse 34 then pharaoh necho made eliakim the son of josiah king in place of his father josiah and changed his name to joiakim and pharaoh took joahaz and went to egypt and he died there so even though king josiah died and his son um Jehoahaz ascended to the throne. Uh, the Egyptian king, uh, Pharaoh Necho, overpowered him, took him captive and back to Egypt, and instead uh, put another one of Josiah's sons on the throne instead and renamed him. He had the name, excuse me, Eliakim was his name, but instead he's being na- given the name Jehoiakim by the conquering king uh, pharaoh Nico, uh, as he's also given title oh, as king over judah verse 35 so Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold of pharaoh but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of pharaoh he exacted the silver and gold from the from the temple i'm sorry from the people of the land from everyone according to his assessment to give to Pharaoh, Nico. So uh, he's wisely taking the money from the people who have it. He's paying tribute um, to the conquering king, Pharaoh, Niko. He's giving him what he wants, the talents of gold and silver. And he's getting it from the wealthy people who can afford it uh, to keep the land safe. That's what the new king, Jehoiakim, is doing. And notice how the narrator is going by what the new king's name is joy kim not going by the name he was given eliakim um i think that's just noteworthy to show once again people get name changes and they're accepted yet for some reason when transgender people change names it's a big hoopla it's nonsense but it is what it is so let's see um verse 36 Joachim was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's mother's name was Zabuda, the daughter of Padea of Ramah. So uh, Joachim apparently had a different mama than um, the other son who was carried away captive. I uh, forgot just that quick. Um, Jehoahaz. So Jehoahaz and Eliakim Apparently had two different parents, two different mamas, but the same daddy, uh, Josiah. Um, and he's 25 years old when he's ascended to the throne. And um, let's see what happens with his kingdom. Verse 37, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So again, according to the narrator, this that king also did evil. And it says, according to all that his fathers had done. Almost certainly meaning idolatry, rebuilding those same phallic symbols, all those different religions and uh, worshiping all those different deities instead of focusing on one specific deity uh, as their God. And uh, almost certainly it will be considered an offense yet again. But that was the last verse in this chapter, so that's we are in this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you. See you next time. Peace be with you.